When Ruben first asked me to speak this morning, I was quite enthusiastic because there had been something on my heart for some time. And that is the notion that we live out of a story. And some of you might be thinking he's a bit of a late developer. But I think even if we think that, we don't tend to articulate it too well. But really, living a story in our personal lives and consequently the lives of our family and our community and our country and our world is shaped by the story. The way we conceive and understand that human story is who we are and who we become and the life that is lived around us. And as we live in community, our mutual stories shape and define us. So as we live the story, we look for a story that is outside of ourselves, a universal and public truth that we can believe in if we can find it. And as we search for that truth, we look a bit deeper as thinking people to where have we come from, why are we here, where are we going, um, and what is our meaning? And is there a story that can explain these things to us? And we have two essentially competing stories in this world. We have the world story, the story we experience through television, through the media, newspapers, celebrities. And this presents us with a story of the world, a life that we can aspire to, a world where anything goes, where it is focused on my wants and there are no absolutes, and that the capacity for human evil knows no bounds. And at the end, simply darkness awaits us. And the world we live in, shaped by this story, is a world where depression has increased dramatically. Where those elements outside of ourselves, like our faith, our country, our community and our family, are either absent or under direct threat by a world where the self is exalted above all else. So with this story... Alongside this story sits another story, the story that Reuben has been explaining for the last two weeks, a story of universal truth and a story of hope. It is God's story, the story of divine love and intent, our creation as human beings made in God's image, of our inability to live honoring that image, and of God's redeeming love in sending Jesus to save us from ourselves. God expressed in Jesus, his story, God's story lived in Jesus. He came to give us our story, to die and be resurrected, the first sign of the new creation that God will deliver in the final renewal of this world. So integral to understanding the story is understanding Jesus' story, God with us and God revealed to us. For in Jesus, we find our meaning and our humanity. So how do we live knowing these stories? We've been given the gift of choice, and it's a gift and a curse. We get to choose how we might live, but we're not free from the consequences of that choice. So we understand our reality, and we live our reality in the light of these stories. And if it is Jesus' story and not the world's story, then it's a clarion call to us in a world that spirals ever downwards. And he is our hope and our salvation. So we look to discover our story as it was in the beginning, as it is now, and how it'll be at the end of time. We need to know the story that the world tells us is mutually exclusive to our story. They cannot sit side by side. Even if we search for the commons, they are mutually exclusive stories.
So let's explore the story and understand, as Paul said, what it means to live not of this world, but in this world. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for the gift of Jesus who came to reveal you to us and to tell us your story and to live our story. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together. None of us are here by random chance, Lord. We are here by divine intent. Lord, we listen to your voice this morning and we pray that we might come to know you more and love you deeper this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go forward, there's a couple of quotes. Michael Goheen says, All of human life is shaped by some story. And a story is the best way of talking about the way the world actually is. Tom Wright. So what does it mean to live out of a story? Two explanations. One from a writer. You're sitting at a bus stop and somebody turns to you and says, do you know Egyptian geese fly east in the winter? Now how you respond to that depends on your story and your perception of the person who's telling you that. If you were a spy, that might be some code to ignite some sort of relationship. If you're a lecturer, you might believe that this person was your student and is asking you something about something that you know. Or if you understood that this person had just come from their therapist who was trying to get them to relate better to strangers and asked you to talk to people um, that you meet, you would, you would conceive that differently. I think probably a closer one for me is Ravi Zacharias's story about you're driving through some dodgy part of Los Angeles at 2 o'clock in the morning and your car breaks down. And as you get out, coming down the road is a boisterous group of young men in leather jackets shouting. How you respond to those people will be determined by whether you believe they've just left a sleazy nightclub or whether they've come from a Bible study just around the corner. How you respond to those people will be determined by how you see their story. And we have the story lately, a tragic story and a story of hope, of two captains. We have Captain Shatina the Italian captain of the ship that's just sunk, and I think at least 17 lives are lost. And his story, I tripped and fell into a lifeboat and I'm directing operations from the shore. That decision that he made came from his story and has now become his story. And on the other side, we turn to Captain Sullenberger some time back who flying out of an airport in America had a catastrophic engine failure and in seconds had to make a decision Realizing he couldn't turn around and land at the airport, what was he going to do? Fully built up areas around him, whatever he did, somebody was going to die. And in a split second decided he's going to land this plane in the Hudson River. Now, very bold move, potentially very dangerous move. Not often you land planes in water, it's very difficult. But miraculously, not one person was hurt or injured in that. And Captain Sullenberger did not walk out of that plane until every single person was off of it. And he went through that plane as the water was lapping up those aisles and looked for the last person in case they were in there. And, he, and he's quoted and saying, we need to try and do the right thing every time to perform at our best because we never know which moment in our lives we'll be judged on. Or well, we know when we'll be judged. And we're judged on everything. Not those decisions, but all decisions. Sins of omission, sins of commission, sins of the mind. We judged on all things. All of life is lived before the face of God. And it's interesting that Sullenberger said in a book that he's just written recently, 
that it wasn't so much the things and decisions he made in the seconds before that splashdown, but in the 57 years that he had leading up to that. His story informed that decision. So every choice we make, every action we take, every word we speak is informed by our story, and it becomes our story. And so we look for truth. And I quote Vang and Carter, the story of the Bible has the power to make sense of all other stories of your life. When it is internalized and becomes your story, it gives meaning in the midst of meaningless and value in the midst of worthlessness. People become Christians when their own stories merge with and understood in the light of God's story. So this is the universal truth. This is the public truth of which our life is a part. In thinking about where we come from and why we're here and how we live and where we're going, our origin, our meaning, and our morality, or our virtue, and our hope are things that we need to know. And I'll explain a bit more about this later, because without a why, there is any how. If we don't know why we're here, then it doesn't matter how we live. So we turn to the world story. Another quote from Tom Wright, made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we assist on our own way. And made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. And at the heart of the Christian ethic is humility. And at the heart of its parodies, the world story is pride. And the world is in turmoil around us. Financial crises, the 99 percenters or the 1 percenters. The mall is our new cathedral. Consumerism is our God. Even suburbia and the car, which is devoted to the individual, rob us of community. And even if we turn our sights lower than community to civility, can't we just be civil? Even that fails. Try and drive in Auckland and look for civility. Even that fails. So we're free to choose, but we're not free from the consequences. And we understand one very important fact about the world. Laws cannot change hearts. We can legislate about bad things, but we cannot legislate about good things. It is a cry of the heart. And in the words of this Casting Crown song, which I'm going to see shortly at Parachute, it is a slow fade in the world. People don't crumble in a day. Families don't crumble in a day. Daddies don't crumble in a day. We live that story, and each day it gets darker and darker. And the pervasive story of the world is that we are simply matter. We do not matter. We live for ourselves. And at the end, there is simply death. We need something more meaningful. So we turn to God's story. And I think sometimes we neglect the sweeping nature of God's story. And I think it was brilliant about Ruben's two-part series, as you understand the sweeping nature of this story. And this quote by this Hindu scholar I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion in India. We don't need any more. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole creation and the history of the human race, and therefore a unique interpretation of a human person as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There's nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. So it is a sweeping narrative of creation 
to new creation of God at the beginning, God now, and God at the end of time. And there is a rhythm to scripture, creation, fall, redemption. Israel came about, God's people fell redeemed, fell redeemed. The story of the major people in the Bible, David, Peter, always coming from something, falling and being redeemed. So to be Christian is not to be religious. It is to be God's image bearer, being witness to his story and telling his story and his purpose for humanity. We are co-heirs with Christ in this world and nobody drifts into God's story. I stand at the door and knock. We are there to open that door. We must open that door. And if we truly want to understand God's story, we need to look at scripture because scripture is not just a religious book. Scripture is God's word for the whole of life. And I love this quote of Martin Luther, that the Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. And for those who say they don't hear God, God speaks clearly through scripture. And in God's story, we find our origin. We understand our meaning. We find our virtue and we celebrate our hope. We find a crucified Christ and what it means to be truly human. And we discover that God's had a mission and we're part of that mission. And that is to restore his creation. So let's look in more detail at our origin and our meaning and our morality and our hope in the lights of these stories. Firstly, origin, I quote GK Chesterton again, it is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into everything. And as a thinking person, putting aside faith for a moment, it's hard to conceive the fact that we hear about random event and not divine intent, big bang or intelligent design. And I remember Jeff Vine saying this notion of random event is like a wind sweeping through a junkyard and a 747 suddenly appears. It is just not credible. And this quote of Henry Nowen, so how do we live in creation? Do we re relate to it as a place full of things we can use for whatever we need, we want to fulfill and whatever goal we wish to accomplish? Or do we see creation, first of all, as a sacramental reality, a sacred space where God reveals to us the immense beauty of the divine? So we're created by a loving God. And Romans 1.20 talks about the world and God's mystery revealed so that all men may be without excuse. So we turn to meaning. And for search for meaning, this world looks at the exalted self. And I quote Dr. Martin Seliman, that the life committed to nothing larger than itself is a meager life indeed. Human beings require a context of meaning and hope. The self, to put it another way, is a very poor site for meaning. And it's interesting that even of those who don't believe in God see echoes of God in a longing for justice, in a quest for spirituality, in a search for relationship, and a delight in beauty. And as Christians, when we relate to Jesus, we see where these echoes and origins come from. And that when Jesus came out of that tomb, justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty rose with him. So we have a why, and it is now about a how. And the great conversion of our life is to have the courage to say, I don't have to ask this world for permission to live. I am not what other people say I am. I am not what I own. 
and I'm not what I earn, and I'm not what I produce. I am a chosen, beloved child of the divine God. And do I really believe that I'm loved first, independent of what I can accomplish? And sometimes in life we suffer, and, the, and sometimes meaning fades in that suffering. And the challenge is to see those interruptions in life as from above, and to trust that they are part of God's work, changing us to that which we are called to be, and that is Jesus. And our meaning is simply stated in Acts, for in him, Jesus, we live and have our being. So we search for morality, our virtue. Who am I? And more importantly, who am I becoming? becoming truly human? Are we building thin places, as the one writer says, bringing the kingdom closer to earth, as we call on in the Lord's Prayer? And interesting, even in the most atheist of hearts is heard there ought to be a right and there ought to be a wrong. And we know that we are image bearers of God, and that's why it sits there. And in the world as we see it, as G.K. Chesterton says, if there's one thing worse than the modern weakening of our major morals, it is the modern strengthening of our minor morals. Thus it is considered more withering to accuse a man of bad taste than of bad ethics. We're more concerned about whether people drink free trade coffee or not, and we murder our children. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with searching for free trade coffee, but the reality is we put more emphasis on that than the fact that we kill our children. And we turn to Hebrews. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For from the heart comes love, and from love comes all other virtues. Love of God, love of the world, love of others. We cannot do things, good things, as the world dictates us to do. We can only do those things from the heart. And our virtue and morality comes when we make wise and courageous choices, and they become second nature, when temptation is resisted. And the things that we do point to the life that is to come and not the world that we're living. So we look to celebrating our hope as Christians. Does it matter? And we find that hope does matter, because with hope I can endure all things. And we need to understand the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism, optimism is the expectations that things will get better, whether it's relationships, our finances, the economy. It's about the future. Hope is the trust that God will fulfill his promises to us. The optimist looks to the future. We live our lives today in the trust that everything that we do is in the hands of a good God. So our hope, we hope that God will hold to his promises. And we hope that God overcomes death. And we hope of God's boundless love and grace. And we hope that God will one day live with us. Hope is living today, trusting in these promises. So we draw this all together in Jesus. Because the great mystery of the incarnation is God became flesh so that our flesh might encompass the divine spirit. And as God shared in our story through Jesus and our mortal lives, 
Death no longer has the final word. Death is swallowed up in victory, as it says in Corinthians. Death wears your sting. And Jesus has taken away the fatality of this existence and given our lives on earth an eternal value. And all that is mortal now points to the immortal. And through Jesus, all of creation is a splendid veil through which God is revealed to us. And I just love the book of John in these first five verses of John, where Jesus is the fullest and final revelation of God. And it starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, our origin. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, our meaning. The light shines in the darkness, our morality, and in the darkness has not overcome it, our hope. So how do we now live in the face of this? Well, we don't opt out of this world. We are God's image bearers in a world that was created good, and we look for the goodness in all creation, in our businesses, our workplaces, our relationships, our personal lives, And in the power of the Spirit, we identify where sin has stained that goodness and we take action to restore it because that is the rhythm of Scripture and that is the mission of God. Creation, fall, redemption. And we quote Micah. He has shown all you people what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. I hate to quote Martin, uh, Russell Crowe in The Gladiator, but what we do in this world does echo in eternity. So in a practical way, we look to the choices we make in this world. And I've just outlined a few there between the world's story and God's story. Are we a product of random process or are we created intentionally by God? Are we just matter or do we matter to God and to others? Do we exist simply because I am or do we exist in relationship with God? Questioning who I am versus knowing whose I am. We live today, there is tomorrow, or we live today in the hope and trust of tomorrow. We seek prominence in self but we find our significance in God. We are self-sufficient or we are God-dependent. We find truth as the world defines it or we find truth as God reveals it in Jesus. So do we live for ourselves or as they say in Galatians, do I no longer live, but Christ lives in me? The life I live in the body, I live by faith alone. So we face a practical world of bullying in schools, booze culture, unbridled sex going on in all sorts of media. And we need to interpret and respond to those things in the light of Scripture, in the light of knowing our meaning, in the light of understanding our virtues. We need to respond on that basis. We're going to move into a time of communion now, and I'm going to come back and summarize And as we take the emblems this morning, I'd just like us to think about the story of Jesus and how he lived out of a deep love of the Father and a love for others and a love for the world. 
He lived God's story. He is God's story. Even in the garden before his crucifixion, he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And there's a tradition in some churches still that they take bread and they bless it and break it and they speak these words, this is, my, this is the body of Christ. And in taking that bread, we express our commitment to make our lives conform to the life of Christ. We too want to live his story as dearly beloved sons and daughters, people chosen, blessed, and broken, and thus we become food for this world. From John again. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. So if you'd move to the sides and take that, those emblems and we'll have a time of communion and then I'll come back and summarize. So to summarize all of that and all those words, this is not a religious book. This is not a manual. This is not a book that guides our spiritual life. This is not a book that controls our Sundays. This is a book about the world as it really is. This is reality. It is a public and universal truth. It's a story of God's creation and our reason for being. It is a personal invitation to a relationship with the God of the universe where we find our humanness and our divine image. It is a story of creation, fall, limitless grace and redemption through the hand of a design, divine fa saviour, Jesus. And at the heart of our faith story is humility and a knowledge of and a love of and an obedience to God. And the heart of this world story is an exaltation of self. And we need to choose which story. We want to find our place and our meaning and be faithful to that story. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We need to open it. We live between the pages of Genesis and Revelation. This story is still in motion. The new creation is broken in in the form of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, but it is now but not yet. And in his story, we know where we've come from, why we're here, how we are called to live and where we find our hope. And our hope lies in this world as we live in anticipation of tomorrow. And it is our faith in tomorrow that one day God will walk with us as he did at the beginning. So I'm going to talk briefly to the young people and teenagers in this audience today, because they are the ones most under pressure. Us older ones have been through a lot. They're still standing at the doorway of their lives. Because the story of this world, young people, is a seductive story. And it'll tell you that your wants and desires are the most important things and that things and fame and fortune 
will give you prominence, and that there is no absolute truth, and that we're a factor of random chance, and that there is no meaning and no hope. These are lies. Reality TV is not reality. I just look at some the young women as they are assailed by images of body image and looks, and this is everything that they should desire. And the Jesus story is very different. We turn to Isaiah 53, the greatest prophecy of the coming suffering Savior. And it says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that, his appearance that we should desire him. That's the Jesus story. That's the story we need to live. And the story of this world is an insidious story. It creeps into our being and it influences who we are. And recall the words of Jesus, be on your guard to the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These small things and the small choices we make influence. And young people, you need to understand the difference between prominence, which is how the world perceives you, and your significance, which is your place with God. And many voices in this world will call for your attention. Voices that say, prove you're a good person. Voices that say, you better be ashamed of yourself. Voices that say, nobody cares about you. And voices that say, you have to be successful and popular and powerful. But underneath all these voices is a still small voice that says, you are my beloved, my favor rests on you. That's the voice you need to hear. So to wrap it up this morning, may we be people who know and live his story and have it written on our hearts and intimately know whose we are. May our words and deeds in our lives proclaim the name of Jesus and point to the kingdom that is to come. We need to tell his story. And may we be resurrection people living resurrected lives and let us walk in the wisdom, wisdom of the cross, the resurrection, and the power of the divine spirit to the living God. And may we be people of thin places, bringing heaven to earth in wherever we are, redeeming this world as co-heirs with Christ. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because simply put, to quote Tom Wright, the message is every act of love, gratitude and kindness, every deed done in Christ and by the Spirit, every prayer, every act that embodies holiness, every time justice is done, peace is made, families are healed, temptation is resisted, true freedom is sought, true freedom is sought and won, and in all things where the name of Jesus is honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation, which God will one day make. God's renewal of his creation, begun with the resurrection and continued through the actions of his people living in the spirit, means that all we do in Christ and in the spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into the new world. So may we always truly know the boundless love and mercy and grace of the living God and live a life in homage to this eternal truth. And we trust in the future, and we turn to Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. 
Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be their, my, their people. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. So to conclude some further scripture from Revelation, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. So today as image bearers, we live his story. We tell his story, and deep in our hearts we whisper, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your scripture and for the living word of Jesus who lived our story and revealed you to us. Thank you for your love and your grace. Guard our hearts, Lord, we pray, as we walk through this world. Let me become true image bearers of you, Lord, in a world that calls out to us in all uncertain ways. Lord, we know your faithfulness and your certainty remains true. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.